Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Man, it is, uh, it is awesome to get to be back with you guys. It really is. Missed y'all. If you are uh, new, if you're a guest, man, we especially love that you're here also. Um, back in the day, back in the day, I was uh, probably 20 years old, and I had this mad crush on this girl named Danielle Marie King Archibald. That was her name. Um, it has since changed, uh, but her name was Danielle Marie King Archibald. And she was, she is beautiful and not just beautiful in the like, you know, she's gorgeous sense, but just this person that as I was getting to know, I was like, oh my gosh, this, this woman is beautiful inside and out, crazy intimidated, crazy out of my league. And so uh, I had a couple years, I guess I technically still have a couple years on her. I'm a little older. And so she, you know, saw me as the older guy. So I had some cool points, which we all know upperclassmen isn't real. You're not actually cooler, but people think you're cooler, which is fun. You cash those in real quick though. Um, and then they figure out you're not. And so there was this girl and I was, I was trying to date her and figure out what that looked like. And, and what do I do here? And there were a few things. There's a lot of things that really cemented um, that relationship for me. Uh, one, she was willing to say yes to me. That was the biggest thing and probably the most important thing. Um, but there were a lot of really important things. But then there were these other little things I think back about when I was dating my now wife, um, a few. One of them was, uh, this is gonna date us, but when she was at college, her laundry room at her, at her school, she was an Aggie, sorry guys, she was an Aggie. And so at uh, Texas A&M, their laundry room, it took quarters. And so in order to do laundry, she had to pay quarters. Um, and so early on when we were dating, I got her a box of quarters. It was actually Valentine's Day. It was our first Valentine's Day. I remember this. And I got her $5 worth of quarters. And she flipped out. It was the greatest gift I had ever given. It was like I gave her a new Tesla. It was this huge thing. And she was so appreciative. And I was like, this is going to be awesome, right? Five, that's technically 20 quarters. I gave her 20 quarters and it was the greatest gift. I was like, this girl, I, I can do this, right? I'm a poor, I'm going to do ministry with my life. I'm always going to be poor. This could work. So that was one. The next one was during the summer. It was our first summer dating. And I remember pulling up to her mom's house and she was outside mowing the yard. And she was, uh, you know, no makeup, hair in a ponytail, like um, basketball shorts, and then like Walmart white sneakers that were just straight out of like the 80s. It was just like, they're cool now, but they weren't cool then. And they had all like green grass stains. And she was out there mowing the yard. And I remember pulling up and being like, golly, here's this girl, no makeup, mowing the yard, beautiful. And I also thought, I'll never have to mow if I marry this girl. <laughs> Third thing that sealed the deal, at least of little things. And she hates when I tell this. I got her permission. She hates when I, when I tell this story. Uh, first time we kissed. First time we kissed. My now wife. First time. Lean in, romantic. We, we actually waited for a while to, to kiss. And so honestly, I had already known this is, this is the girl for me. I think we waited a couple months before or a few months before I, I kissed her for the first time. Kissed her, romantic moment, right? We had butterflies in our stomach. She burped in my mouth. <laughs> no joke. And I was like, 
this is my future wife. That's when I knew. That's when I knew. Danielle Marie King Archibald is about to be Danielle Fuquay. Um, that period of time, right, in our early 20s, figuring that out and dating and evaluating, okay, what is this person about and what do I want out of this thing? Um, that's what that season is for. Here we are, um, the first Sunday before classes start this next week, if, if you're a student in this room, um, most of you are in evaluation mode, right? In a sense, you are, you are dating the extracurriculars, the organizations that you're deciding whether or not you're going to be a part of or are deciding whether they're going to let you be a part of them. You are, you are dating the ministries or, or the groups. You're evaluating all of those things, and, and even so, church, right? You're, you're evaluating, okay, what is this going to look like? What am I going to invest into it? We get that, and so here's what I want to do today in this time. Um, in this time, I want to try to accomplish a few things. I want to, one, really walk us through introducing the book that we're going to be in this entire semester. And so we're going to preach through, for the most part, one book. Every once in a while we'll jump around, but for the most part we're going to preach through one book. And so I want to introduce it, and I want to go to that book, and let's just look at the first five verses. But also, I want to use that passage to give us a picture in this room, really, of who we are as a ministry, what you walked into as you just are kind of evaluating the kind of follower of Christ, the kind of Christian, uh, the kind of, of student or college-age person that you want to live out. I, I want to talk through uh, where we're going as a ministry, and then also what we want for you this semester. Genuinely, what our staff, what our leaders are praying for, for you. Um, to be honest, if you want a real deep dive into our ministry, obviously show up on Friday, and that's where we'll, where we'll eat a bunch of food in this room and worship and pray and get into more detail. Um, but one thing I, I need to say before we crack open um, the Bible is this. It's implied every week, um, but maybe not explicit every week, although it probably should be. And that's what we believe about this platform. What happens here on Sunday morning or the 8.30 service in, in, the, in the span of this worship experience, what we believe happens on the stage is not Ben or Nathan or, or one of our other staff or leaders or, or musicians um, just bringing about what we think, what we believe. Uh, we, we are not standing on, on this platform based on our personality or our giftedness or, or our entertainment ability. Um, but instead, what we believe is that what happens here in this room is a redemptive event. It's a part of what's happening, is a redemptive event where the God of the universe says, I want more of you. And, and that happens in my heart and that happens in our staff and our leaders' hearts. And he says, don't leave this room unchanged. And that redemptive event that we believe happens when God's word is preached, when we worship, when we look at him for who he is and respond appropriately that that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, not us. We don't have the power to do that. And, and I say that um, not to be self-deprecating, but to, to take a lot of confidence in the fact of what we do is we say, God, will you show up? We're gonna preach your word. And, and with that, it means that we believe this word is what's authoritative. Not Ben's opinion, not our theories, but this Bible, we believe, is God's word to us revealed to say, this is who I am. This is how I love you. This is what I call you to. This is where I'm going. Come and follow me. And so uh, that, that's implicit in everything we do here, but I just wanted to make it explicit before we um, jump into what we're going to be studying, which is the book of Galatians. And so this fall semester, we're going to be in this book, Galatians. Uh, if you flip there, if you've got your Bibles or your iPhone Bibles, 
uh, or whatever that looks like. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles all around the room. If you made it to college without one, no big deal, take one of ours. They're black. We've also got, I think, some purple leather ones um, that an awesome family donated for us. But um, there's black ESV hard hardcover Bibles. Take one on your way out. Man, that's our gift to you. Um, we're going to use it every single week. And so we're going to be in Galatians. Galatians is six chapters. It's 149 verses, and we're going to spend 13 weeks looking at those verses. Today, we're going to look at the first five verses, and that's it. And there's two questions that I want you to be looking at as we study these first five verses. Is The question is, who is the author of Galatians, and then what is his desire or his prayer for his people? And in this sermon, we're going to ask those two questions, but then from that text, I'm going to put a few questions before you to wrestle with, to answer um, between you and the Lord. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And we'll put it up on the screen for you too, if that's even easier. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so right off the bat, the question, who is the author of Galatians, is right there. Uh, It's plain to see he literally starts the entire book naming himself as the author. And so who is our author? And it's it's Paul, an apostle, right? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, but he gives this title, right? His, His name tag is, he's Paul, he's an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And Galatians is written by Paul. Um, he is an apostle, which means he's someone who has encountered Christ, a witness to Christ, been changed by Christ, is now a messenger and a witness of Jesus, to Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus. That's what being an apostle is. Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and we're going to, we're going to do a deep dive into really more of Paul's story specifically in three weeks because at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, Paul starts to kind of lay out, hey, here's, here's a part of my story. Um, but here's what I want to do. I, I, I want us to see one, one really important thing in, in Paul's title, how he identifies himself as the author. Paul's very identity is shaped by who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I want you to see that. I mean, in literally verse one, Paul's name tag, his identity, how he identifies himself to this church that he's writing this letter to, to encourage him and challenge him and all of those things. It's shaped by this thing that Jesus has done, by this person of who Jesus is. It doesn't come from men, he says. His identity as an apostle is from the God who raised, who was raised from the dead, right? The Father and the Son, and through the Holy Spirit, he puts this on paper and says, this is who I am. So often, man, our, our identity is shaped by all kinds of things, right? If, if you are a, a football player, right, you might, you, you might kind of say, like, yes, I'm, I'm on a, a football team. It, whatever your job is, right, if you're a banker or you're a, a CEO of a company one day, that might be a part of kind of how you introduce yourself in ways, right? I'm Ben, I am a pastor, which there is no quicker way to just really make people awkward than to say that, right? 
all of a sudden I'm hanging out at a wedding and I'm drinking my shiner and I'm talking to some other 30-year-old guy who's got his old fashioned in his hand. He's like, ah, and I'm asking him what he does and he's like an investment banker. He's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. He just like hides his old fashioned as I'm just drinking a, a shiner. It's like, there's no more way to make a party awkward than just to tell people you're a pastor. So it's cool. Um, but we do that, right? Our identity is, is shaped by the things that we do, right? By who we are, maybe by our personality, by, by family, by kids, by I'm a dad, I'm a mom, or whatever that looks like, um, by a sorority, by a fraternity, by, by a degree, I'm, I'm pre-med, or I'm business, or I'm what, whatever it is that so often that becomes a part of it. That's how we identify ourselves, but Paul says, man, this is who I am. Through Jesus, that's who I am, through Jesus and what he was done as raised from the dead, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we believe is a literal and accurate historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, and it changed the world. And, And the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again not only changed our world, it changed personally my life in so many ways and continues to be this thing that changes my life and hopefully your life. Um, It changed Paul's life. And the term for that that we throw around all the time in the church is the gospel, right? The idea of the gospel is this term that we use a lot, and and some of you guys might obviously know, oh, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospels. That's the storied account of Jesus's death, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But that event is the gospel, right? That's what what it means. It says, okay, this is what we believe actually happened. But the implications of this historic event change everything. My simply saying, you know what, sure, I think I believe that. I think I will, sure, I think I'll intellectually acknowledge the fact that this historic event happened is one thing, but the implications of me putting my faith in that is totally different. Let me unpack a little bit real quickly um, just something that I've read um, in some commentaries and some scholars have, have made this argument of where this word comes from, the gospel. You might have heard it means um, the good news, right? Um, that the good news is what Jesus has done for us. Um, but the good news is kind of the literal translation of it. And what would happen so often uh, in Rome, in the time that they started using this term, the gospel, in the first century, is Rome would show up in a town. So you live in, in a town, right? And, and you have a city or a kingdom or a village or whatever it is. And Rome was huge and they were taking over the world and they would oftentimes send a herald to show up to a town and he would say, good news, right? This idea of the gospel. He would say, hey, good news. Uh, And he represented Rome and you're not from Rome. He said, hey, good news. Uh, Rome has now taken you over. So now Rome says that you belong to it. So you're gonna start paying taxes to Rome. Caesar is now your king and ultimately your God that you're gonna worship. And congrats, good news, you're now a Roman. And then one of two things happened in history. Uh, People said, the heck we are, and they would battle. And almost all of the time, they would get totally squashed by Rome. And so then the other option, most of the people who saw their buddies in other villages just get totally wiped out would say, okay, I guess we're going to submit to Rome. I guess this is our new king. I guess this gospel, this herald that would show up is saying, all right, this is our king now. Shoot, we can either put up a fight and get wiped out or we can just take it. And and so that's this idea that the gospel is kind of this play on this allegiance. Hey, good news. There is a new king. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, good news. It means we now have a new king, a new Caesar, a new God, a new authority. 
one that we now submit our life to. And so this gospel and all the implications of it shape our identity. Because of what happened 2,000 years ago, our identity should be drastically shaped. The way we live our lives today should be changed. Here's my question for you. I said I was gonna ask you a few questions sprinkled in here. Here's the first one. And I want you to genuinely pray. This isn't a quick answer, right? And I'm not gonna give you a quick answer. But I want you to wrestle with this. Is your identity shaped by who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? Wherever you're at, if you're a college student or college age, in your life right now, when you think about who you are, when you think about the list that's on your name tag, when you look in the mirror and and find your value and find your identity when no one else is around, is the gospel, is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, has that shaped and is that shaping who you are? Do you look at your life and say, okay, I'm, I'm living for myself, right? My, my life is under, I am king of my life. I am Caesar of my life. I run my own kingdom and my ro- own empire. Or is a part of your life, and when I say a part of your life, I don't mean compartmentalized. I mean, is your life increasingly submitted to say, I'm not the king? Because Jesus died and rose again, that means that he is who he said he was, You don't defeat death if we believe that happened, that it means all of the truth of Scripture is true. If if that historical event happens, it means all of this is validated and authoritative. Has that shaped your life? Is that ongoingly shaping your life and your allegiance? And that's a question that we don't ask one time at a summer camp. That's a question that we ask every day if you're a follower of Christ. Lord, are you shaping my life to look more like you? Has the gospel shaped my identity? Next Sunday, um, I'm not gonna get too far into the weeds of that, partly because I trust the Holy Spirit more than I trust me, and I want you to sit on that, and I want you to wrestle with that, and I want you to talk to the Lord about that, and I want you to ask and go to Scripture, Um, but also because next week, uh, in the next section of verses in Galatians, we're gonna spend um, almost the entire sermon just digging into what does this mean? What does it really mean to to be saved, to be connected to Christ, to be in Christ? What does it really mean to believe the gospel and what are the implications that should be taking place in my life? And so that's the whole sermon next week. Honestly, if if you miss a sermon, just don't miss next week, right? Uh, Church hop, check out other churches, that's great. But but I I really would encourage you, hear that, lean into uh, the gospel next week for sure. Um, Has he changed us or is he a box that we checked? Right? Is your faith, is your Christianity something that, yes, you intellectually affirm, you check the box. If someone asks you, certainly you'll say, yes, that's a part of your, your name tag. You're not embarrassed about it, or it's a prayer that you prayed. If that's all it is, then um, I think the Lord has a lot of work to do in all of us, certainly. He's still working in me in that exact question, shaping my life to look more like him. Second question is this. I, I said we need to answer um, from this text, from these five verses, is the question, what is Paul's desire, right? Or or really his prayer for his audience? What's Paul doing in just these five verses here? Look look again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna keep reading four and five too. Who gave himself, talking about Jesus, for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I think many of us, um, and me included, would be tempted really to skip through these first five verses, right? Skip through kind of these verses here and just be like, okay, that's, a, that's kind of a, 
a, a rote entry, you know, greeting, standard greeting. Um, I think it's more than just a copy and paste from Paul. Paul wants two things for, her, for his people, right? It's in the text. He wants grace and he wants peace for them. He wants grace to you and peace, peace for you, at least generally here in his greeting. Obviously, the entire letter of Galatians, we're gonna see all kinds of admonitions and things that Paul wants, but here, right off the bat, he says grace to you and peace to you. This little verse three, I, I think it's easy to skip, but I think it's really, really important. And I think this really lines with our heart as a ministry of what we want and what we pray for you guys. And this was a typical, um, this was a typical welcome for Paul, right? In most of his letters, this is how he would begin his letters, but I don't think, uh, I don't think it's there for, for no reason. Those two words are absolutely what the Galatians need and they have no ability to produce it within themselves. They have no ability, these people he loves, to produce the grace they need or the peace they need themselves. And so that's why it's his prayer. Um, and remember I said that there's some things of what, what we want from you. Um, as we've been praying as a staff, this is what we want for you guys. This is one of the many things we want for you. This next semester, man, I desperately, eagerly want to see you experience God's grace in ways you've never experienced, in rich, rich ways to experience God's peace setting you apart from this broken world we live in in ways that don't make sense outside of a miraculous God. So let's look deeper at those two things, right? We're gonna end our time with just looking deeper at those two things and then get back into worship. Um, Grace is this. Grace is not just a good life, right? When he says, hey, grace to you, he's not just saying, hey, I hope you have a great day and a great semester and I hope people are kind to you and nice to you, Right? Grace is not things working out for you in a way where you look back and you're like, wow, that was convenient. Thanks, God. That's not what grace is. And he's talking about grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And, and, that, and that doesn't do it justice. Let me show you Ephesians 2. As I think this is also Paul in his letter to uh, Ephesus, this other church. And he lays out this incredible picture of really grace and how this whole thing works and the beauty and depth of this word that I think oftentimes you're like, yeah, it's a really gracious day. Here's what he says in Ephesians 2, and we'll put it up on the screen. And you, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Stop right there at verse three. So what Paul is saying here in this other letter is he's starting to expound on this idea of, hey, you were in sin. You are in sin. We, all of us, And that sin didn't just create struggle in our life that we needed to overcome with Jesus' help. What happened was the sin put us under God's wrath and more so we were dead in our trespasses, not on life support. Sin isn't what kind of put put a little bit of a hump between us and the Lord that really kind of made things weird, Nikki. Sin is what completely separates us. We're dead. We're not alone in a life draft. We're at the bottom of the ocean, dead. And Paul is saying that's who we are, that's what we earned, that's what we deserved. Paul is reminding us and showing us the reality of our world is that sin, whether you believe it or not, he says this is what is true. It has completely broken you. And you might say, well, circumstantially, my life is fine, and and that's great. But 
sin has created a disconnect between the eternal God that you are designed to be connected with. And then verse four happens. Verse four starts, and I love this word, but God. But at any time you see but God in scripture, stop, right? Something really incredible is about to happen. And so you were dead, you were doomed, you were under wrath of God because of your sin and he is holy. You didn't stand a chance, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that nobody gets to boast. This is the grace we want you to experience. I think when Paul in verse 3 says grace and peace to you, he's not just saying, hope you're doing well. I think he's saying grace. A grace that saves us from, from eternal separation from God that I didn't earn, I didn't deserve, I wasn't good enough to get, he met me while I was dead and resuscitated me and said, come and follow me. This is what we want. Not just a one-time experience that we've experienced his grace once, but an ongoing reality in my life, in your life that shapes your identity, right? Who we are, how we live, shaped by the reality of who God is and what God has done, right? Dead, people brought to life, spiritually dead people brought to life and then living life differently because we look back at our old self and say, there wasn't life there. I was, there were some good things. There were some fun things. There were some temporal pleasures there. But God, what I'm connected to now is sweeter and it's so good and it's so abundant and it's so real and it's so available to you this semester, in college, in this season of life, to say, I want to experience his grace like that through community, through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit revealing this grace, letting you walk in this grace, believing, putting your faith in this grace. He doesn't save us now so we can then say, oh, great, cool, I'm I'm all good. I'm all good. I've, I've seen his grace and now I can carry on and live my selfish life with me as the king. He shows us grace. He saves us. He redeems us. Graciously rescues our dead sinful selves by the cost of his son's death on a cross so that we are then his. Not just so that we're our own and we get this card that says we've been saved but so that we're his. And when we're not living like his then hopefully we have a community around us that loves us enough to say, man, you're not, you're not plugged into life-giving things. Hopefully we have the Holy Spirit around us that says, wait, 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 you're wandering into things that aren't life-giving undeserved connection and unity with our creator. That's what we want for you. That's our prayer. Um, Do you believe it's possible, right? Do you believe that's possible? Are you living your life day to day under that kind of grace? Two questions for you uh, connected to this. And I want you to write this down or put them in your phone or just think about them and pray about them in this next week. Have you experienced God's grace in a way that has changed your life? Have you experienced God's grace in a way that you can look back and say, God, I think you've changed my life. 
not because of a church community, not because of a sermon you heard one time, not because of a great trip or camp experience, but Hugh came face to face with the creator of the universe who says, yeah, I love you. And you say, but I'm a wicked sinner and I don't deserve you. And he says, I know, and I love you, you're mine. There's grace because of Christ. Submit, surrender, put your faith in what Christ has done. Has that happened? And then also, are you still living out that changed life? Right, is that, is that something that you're still living out, a changed life? Again, that's not a, a one-time thing, and don't answer that too quickly, too. For me, man, I struggle with this, right? I struggle with this. I've been in vocational ministry for, for about 20 years, and, and this is something that I preach, and yet belief and living it out is still a wrestle with me. Am I living my life day to day in a way that is overwhelmed and, and, and fueled by God's grace and what I've experienced and how he loves me and how he sees me? That's an ongoing thing. Um, one of the ways that it shows up, just real practically to give you an example, is, man, shame. Shame is such a powerful thing, right? And you do something or you, you live in a season in a specific way in a specific period of time and you do things that you just know aren't in line with who God is, what he's called you to live, whatever it is. And man, there's this thing that um, happens that isn't from the Lord. Conviction, absolutely being called out, absolutely um, convictions from the Lord. But this idea of shame being this, oh, you're, you're never gonna be good enough. Oh man, you really blew it this time. That lie, right? That lie that says, oh man, because of the shame, the things that I've done, how short I, I come up, I can't. Or I'm ruined. What happened this past summer, What's happened at this beginning of school year, everything's gonna be different, and then we, we, we fall and we stumble and we think, ah, oh, I'm ruined now. I've fallen away. And so I'm not living under this grace. So I'm not living under this grace. It was, never, it was never your track record that brought you back to life. Remember, it was never what you can do. It was never how great and holy you are, how gifted you are. You were dead. You brought zero. I brought zero to the table. He gave me life because he is gracious. And then he calls me to live in a way. And I, I trip and I stumble all the time. And then I think, oh, I ruined it. And he says, what are you talking about? You never earned it in the first place. Oh, I let you down, God. What are you talking about? You were never holding me up. I'm God. I hold you up. And yet we get defeated and we spiral. That's one of the ways that, man, am I really living out a changed life under his grace? Are you? That last, that last word there that Paul, I think, very strategically uses. Um, and this is the last thing I want you to really s- sit on this morning is this idea of peace. And peace is not just lack of stress, right? Peace is not just, a, okay, good, I've got an easy, light, light load this week. Uh, peace really, as in, is the opposite of not just stress, but peace is in the opposite of war, right? The opposite of wrath, the opposite of destruction, right? Ephesians 2, 4 that we just, we just read was this idea that we were, by nature, children of wrath, right? We see that in the text, that we were, by nature, children of wrath. Even here in Galatians, right, we see that idea that we are to be delivered from this present evil age. There is wrath on us because we are not holy, and so if we're not in Christ, then, well, then, yeah, we don't, we don't belong on his team. We don't belong in unity, but because of the cross, I get an opportunity to have peace with God, 
right? That, that's the foundational. When we hear the word peace, foundationally, we don't just think, oh good, it's not a stressful week, or I, I hope I don't have anxiety about all of my to-do list, which is a very legitimate thing. But this is a, a much deeper, much more foundational peace. Am I right with God? Am I right with a holy and perfect God? Because of Jesus' graciously laying his life down, I get a chance for peace with God, right? If I'm in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, I get this chance to be in unity with a God that I will never really measure up to in my own strength. We go from children of wrath to adopted kids of his, like that, because of the gospel, because of our faith in the gospel and the grace that he shows us. It's this vertical relationship being restored right, this vertical relationship with the God of the universe being restored that gives us the opportunity to also experience peace over fear, right? Last verse I'm gonna drop on you is Romans 8, 15. And this is also Paul. And to to Rome, he says this, to his church in Rome, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? There is intimacy, there is connection, this familial term of I can approach this holy and perfect God, which really I should be in his wrath, but because of the spirit that God's given me in, in his grace, I get to approach him and say, you're my dad. You're my dad. You welcome me in. And that's huge, and that is peace producing, that I can have a relationship with a God I have no business having with, and then the way that that fills my life, right? We live in fear. I, I live in fear. It might not show it in, in my everyday life, but we live in fear of, of men, of people, of what other people are going to think, of other people's judgments. And so many of you guys just got through, hopefully it was an incredible couple of weeks, but I know for many it's a really hard week or so in, in, in recruitment and figuring that whole thing out, and there's so much fear and performance and all of those things. And so many good things that come out of that too, but man, we, we walk in fear, fear of failing, fear of what other people think, fear of just anxieties that we don't even know are there? Are you experiencing the kind of peace that we say, I don't have a spirit of fear, but I have a spirit of adoption because because I'm no longer a child of wrath. There's peace between me and God. I can approach this Abba Father, the the God of all things, the God who, who sets and holds all things in motion. And so I can keep in perspective all of these very valid horizontal disasters or, or circumstances in my life that produce fear and anxiety, and I can say, that's not the spirit I've been given. Have you experienced that kind of peace? And my second question is, are you still living in that peace? Have you experienced it? When you think about following Jesus, when you think about being a Christian, do you think about rules that you're supposed to follow and show up and keep good church attendance, and, and that makes you right with God? And that's exhausting. There's no peace in that. Or is there a confidence and security of saying, I am secure in my relationship with my father because of what he's done, not because of what I've, because of he's done. I've experienced that peace in a way that's changed your life. And then you look up and say, am I still walking in that? And maybe you say, yes, I have, but Ben, I, I look at my life now, and man, this summer I drifted or man, the last few years, I used, to, I used to walk in that peace and now I just am surrounded by all these other things that just seem to produce fear and anxiety in my life. Our hope is this for you guys this semester. You experience life-changing grace. You'd experience life-changing peace and that would shape our identity of who we are. That's where we're going. It's not gonna be because of sermons and music and community. It's 
real change, real eternal change that makes us different is gonna be because we have a God who says, I love you. I love you right where you're at. I love you right where you're at. And no amount of sin, no amount of things that separate you from him are gonna be more powerful than his grace, than his love unifying. I can't wait to walk with you guys. I can't wait to get to preach this book with you. I can't wait to see what God does in your life. Let me pray and then we'll get back after worship. Father, we love you. We love you and we, um, we do just ask for these things, Lord. Um, in line with scripture, in line with Paul asks for his people that they would have grace, that they would experience that, that we would experience that grace, um, that they would experience peace. We also ask that for ourselves, for the leaders, for the staff in this ministry, for everyone who walks into this coffee shop to worship you, to look at you, that we would see you for who you are and that you would do a redemptive work that only you can do in this place. And then we would leave different. We'd leave in awe of you. We'd leave challenged and encouraged with work to be done, but not isolated trying to do this work on our own, but instead with the work that we leave here inspired to do, would it be the work of surrender? Would it be the work of looking at your good news, that you are who you said you were, and would we get in your word and say, okay, God, I submit to you. Make me more like you. Walk in the freedom that comes with an identity centered around who you are and what you've done. God, do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus, amen.